This is my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. I have what the Word says I have. All the blessings of Abraham are mine, and I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Day my mind is alert, my spirit is receptive, as I am taught the Word of God, my life is changed for the better, and I will never be the same again. Amen. You may be seated. And if you want to turn your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, we'll be in Mark's Gospel today. We've been in a series on Sunday mornings entitled The Miracles of the New Testament, discovering these patterns and principles of these miracles, learning how to apply those patterns, those principles to our own lives for the meeting of our needs, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those that are in our family, that we're praying, we're believing God for. I would encourage you not to miss Wednesday nights. The last two weeks, Pastor has said that sometimes we try and use prayer or prayer and fasting as a substitute for obedience or taking action on the Word of God. And as we've been learning on Wednesday nights, that will not work, and the Lord will not honor it. You have to take action on the Word and pray. You have to obey and pray, or pray and then obey. And yes, there are times that we might fast as led by the Holy Spirit a day or two or three, but it's not going to do any good if we're not doing what the Word says, if we're not taking action on the Word. Miracles are the result of action on our part, and that action could be confessing what the Word says. That action could be obedience, that action could be giving. Miracles are simply one kind of reaping or harvest in the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Genesis 8:22, as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest will never cease. That's how God set the earth up. It's how he set the system up, sowing and reaping. And we are all sowing all the time in everything that we say, in everything that we do, in every action, positive or negative, and it's our sowing that determines the harvest. And miracles are simply one kind of reaping, one kind of harvest. James 2 verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Verse 17, James 2 17, in the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. So faith requires action. James 2.18, James writes, Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So our action, it is a sowing that produces a harvest. And miracles are simply one kind of reaping and one kind of harvest in the kingdom of God. Praise God for last year's miracle. Praise God for last year's testimony. But I want some answered prayer in 2023. 
I want some miracles in 2023. I want some testimonies in 2023. Praise God for the victory five years ago. But we ought to have some victories this year. And so we have to sow accordingly. We have to take action accordingly. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. And we receive any good thing from God by faith. But our faith has to be accompanied by action. In most miracles throughout the Bible, there are four steps. To hear the word, to believe the word, to confess the word, and to take action on the word. And your action, it is a sowing for your miracle. There's great power in taking action before a miracle happens. And there's great power in changing your attitude before a miracle happens. You know, we, we live in a faith bubble here at Faith Christian Center. The other day, I believe Thursday, I was just about to leave to go to one of our children's sporting events, and someone just happened to be stopped by and visiting, and they, they were from another state, but from the past, knew my parents, knew about the church, so they were just stopping by to, to see things. And I, I ask a question, it's common to ask, well, hi, how are you doing? And here at Faith Christian Center, we, we live in the faith bubble. We, we expect someone to say, I'm doing great. Things are going well. As the Bible says, it is well with my soul. But this visitor was very negative. Well, I knew it's because she's from another place in another environment, in another church, hearing a different word. There is great power in changing your attitude. Think about Abraham. God had given him a promise, but that promise was not fulfilled until Abraham was a very old man. If anyone could have been blue, if anyone could have been negative, it could have been Abraham. But the Lord told him, he said, lift up your eyes. The Lord told him, look, look at the stars, count them if you can. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars. Think about the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will be more numerous. Lord was telling him, lift up your eyes, say what not, do not say what is, say what will be. Be positive. Have a positive attitude. And I know there are times in life when you face a challenge that seems difficult. It seems impossible. But there is great power in changing your attitude for the positive before a miracle happens. Today's miracle is different. Jesus says it, but before Jesus says anything, the man in this miracle first takes action. Bartimaeus first takes action if, of his own initiative in anticipation of something good happening in his life. So in your life, in your circumstances, in your home, in your family, in your finances, you've got to expect and anticipate miracles. Expect and anticipate good things happening to you. How's it going? It's going great. What kind of week are you going to have? I'm going to have an awesome week. I'm going to have a wonderful week. It's going to be my, my best week ever. You know, sometimes I'll say that we're blessed, we're favored, 
We, we do that because we're blessed, because we're favored, people do things for us that they don't do for anyone else. And it's true. You know, Jessica and I, because of an arrangement we've had with our current bank, we're going to have to switch banks. And in switching banks, we're going to have to move the note on our house. And so I checked with the lady at this new bank, and they, they filled out the paperwork for me. Now I'm 41 years old, and no one has ever filled out the paperwork for me. That's the blessing of the Lord. That's the favor of the Lord. We're glad to have your business, and we'll fill out the paperwork for you. So I'm not just talking out of my hat. I don't have a hat on. It's a saying. I'm not just talking out of my hat. We're blessed. We're favored. People do things for us that they do not do for anyone else. Now, you may be facing a challenge. You may be facing a situation. And when someone says, how's it going? You may want to be negative. But that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not how we feel. We walk by faith and not our circumstances. You've got to expect and anticipate miracles. And if you'll do that, you can change your life and your circumstances for the better. This miracle is similar to the miracle of the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. Jesus told her in Mark 5, 34, your faith has made you well. And we'll see the same thing with Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was begging because he was blind. You know, today we have all these modern conveniences. We have all this technology and someone could be blind or deaf, but because of technology today, they can work, they can make a living. It was not that way in the ancient world. Mark 10, verse 46, they, then they came to Jericho. And if you know your Bible, you know that Jericho was a cursed place. But Jesus would often go out of his way to go through Samaria and to minister to Samaritans who the Jews looked down upon. And if you read your Gospels, you'll find out that Jesus would often go out of his way to go to Jericho, which was a cursed place. So that's always encouraging to me. Praise God for his goodness. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his mercy. You might say, Austin, I'm, I'm messed up. Austin, I'm, I'm in trouble. Well, Jesus would go out of his way to visit a cursed place where there were people who were in trouble. Now, this is important, so I want to take just a brief side journey. In Joshua chapter 6, and if you know your Bible, you know that Jericho was the first city that they defeated when they entered into the promised land under Joshua. They marched around the city. They did everything the way the Lord said. God gave them a great victory. They didn't lose anyone in battle. But after God literally crushed the walls of Jericho. Joshua said, the Bible says in Joshua 6, verse 26, at that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, will he lay its foundations? At the cost of his youngest, will he set up its gates? So Joshua cursed Jericho, Joshua pronounced a curse over Jericho, and God always honors not just his word, God honors the word of his men. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, 
in Ahab's time, Heel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. See, we, we can just do whatever we want, but that doesn't mean there's going to be a blessed result. Heel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram. He set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. So yes, he attempted to rebuild this city, which had been cursed, and he did it at the cost of his firstborn son and his youngest. That's a high price to pay. That's a high price to pay. So again, everything that we do, it is a form of sowing, and what's coming? A harvest. And sometimes we'll see things and wonder, why are they doing what they're doing? Their children will pay the price, and they don't even realize it. Jericho was a cursed place, but there's grace and there's mercy because Jesus would go out of his way to visit Jericho, a cursed place where there were people in trouble. As Jesus and his disciples, together with the large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. It was the ancient world. That's all he could do, hope that someone would help him. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Satan is the one who steals, kills, and destroys. And Satan is the one that takes great delight in turning the sons and the daughters of God into beggars. He's the deceiver. He's the one that'll whisper in someone's ear, do this and do that, and people head down the road of doing it, even if it costs them the life of their firstborn son or their youngest. He delights in stealing, killing, and destroying. Now, there's something important about Bartimaeus. Unlike the man in John 5, who sat around the pool of Bethesda waiting for an angel to stir the waters, waiting for someone to help him, then complaining because no one would help him. Bartimaeus wasn't waiting. He took the initiative. He was anticipating a miracle. Bartimaeus called out to Jesus for mercy. Verse 47, Mark 10, 47, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, we all need mercy and praise God for his grace and mercy. But we also, there are times in life we need more than just the mercy of God. Yes, our heavenly father wants to forgive us. He wants to save us. He wants to heal and restore us. He wants to set us free from every bondage and every addiction. He wants to bless us, but we have a part to play. There's a man in the church that went to a worship concert recently, and he told me, he said, Austin, it was wonderful, and my kids enjoyed it, and the, the message was all about what God wants to do for us and what God can do for us, but he said, I appreciate you and your father, because he said there was not one word about what we must do, and to get the answer, to get the victory, to receive your miracle, there are things that we have to do. You know, a lot of people are doing things in the negative like Heel, who rebuilt Jericho at the cost of his firstborn and the cost of his youngest. 
instead of doing things in the negative, you got to turn that around and do things in the positive. And that's what Bartimaeus did. To receive any good thing that God has for you, you have to take action in faith. But, but it won't always come easy. He, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But the crowd that was there with Jesus, they told him to be quiet. Mark 10, verse 48, many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. In the gospels, Jesus would heal the sick. The most wonderful miracles would happen and the religious leaders would get angry. Jesus would set the oppressed free and the Pharisees would have a criticism. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then the crowd says, be quiet, sit down, shut up, be quiet. If you want a miracle from the Lord, you're gonna have to press him, you're gonna have to take action, and you're going to have to ignore the critics. You can't be blessed and go to new levels if you can't handle criticism and opposition. If you want a miracle, you gotta press in, you gotta take action, you have to ignore your critics. The people who say, be quiet or shut up are the very same people who won't lift one finger to help you. You might say, well, Austin, you don't know what so-and-so said. Do they pay your TXU bill? You don't know what so-and-so said. Do they pay for your, your AT&T bill or Verizon bill? You, you don't know what someone said. Do they, do, they, do they cut the check for your mortgage? It's an opinion. Everybody's got them. But the, the one opinion that matters is the Lord's. And the one word that matters is the Lord. And we, we walk in love. We're for everyone. Amen. But sometimes you got to tune out the noise. And you got to press in and take action and believe God to receive your miracle. But it's the very same people who say, be quiet, who won't lift one finger to help you. Here, let me help you up. Let me get you to Jesus. Let me get Jesus' attention for you so that you can talk to him and tell him what you want and what you desire. The very same people won't help you when God does a miracle and you say, look what the Lord has done, then they'll get angry. A long time ago, this was at the previous location. There was a Sunday or Wednesday night, a young man, young woman visited, and they, they had lived a party lifestyle. Party, drinking, drugs, hard drugs, and uh, they needed something to do that night, and they thought, well, well, we'll just go to church. Well, praise God for his grace and mercy. Praise God for his grace and mercy. They came to church that night. They got saved. They got set free. They, they were so excited. They then asked my father to marry them. He then married them the next evening service, whether it was a Wednesday or Sunday night. So as, it was just a normal church service, but as a part of that church service, my father married them. Now they were no longer living in sin. Now they were living for the Lord together, and they were in church. They were living for the Lord. They, they were tithing. They, they were becoming a success at work and what they, they did for a living. But relatives got upset about it. The man's mother was upset about it. Now, she wasn't upset when he was a partier and a drinker 
and he was snorting lines of cocaine. But she, got, she was not happy when he got saved and was in church and living for the Lord and tithing. So people have opinions. Who cares? The opinion that matters is the Almighty God's. And the word that matters is the Almighty God. So you just have to set all of that aside. You got to turn down the volume of the noise, the criticism, unfriend them, block them, set it to where you don't see what they, they post, and press in and believe God for your miracle. You can't make people full of doubt and unbelief happy. Making critics happy is a waste of time. I love what happens next. Bartimaeus ignored the crowd and he, he shouted, all the more. Mark 10, verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted, all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So you just have to decide whether or not you really want what God says belongs to you. Jesus paid the price. Do you want what Jesus paid the price for? Or do you want what people say you ought to have? Well, my, my attitude is that I, I want every good thing that God has for me. You know, there, there are a lot of Christians out there and they'll have you convinced that if there's some negative thing going on, it's the Lord trying to teach you something. No, 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 no. I, I read my Bible. James says every good and perfect gift is from above. So that's the life I'm going to, to live. And I'm not going to let anybody talk me out of it. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Jesus paid the price. So I want everything that he paid the price for. You know, when you get a new job and you go in and you find out that there's not just a salary, but there are benefits, well, you'd be a dummy not to accept all the benefits. Well, well, I know there's health benefits and I know there's matching, but I'm just not good enough. I'm just not, not worth, no, no one would talk that way. But why do we do that when we come to the Lord? That's religion. It is not Bible. If Jesus paid the price, I want everything he paid the price for. He paid the price so I can be saved, so I want to be saved. He, he paid the price so I could be forgiven. My sins washed away. He paid the price so that we could live this life as the sons and the daughters of Almighty God. So I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. God is our Father. So we ought to act like it. We ought to talk like it. We ought to think like it. We ought to carry ourselves like it. Jesus paid the price so we could reign in life. So I'm going to reign in life. And I'm going to get the victory over every circumstance. You might wonder, where is that? That's Romans 5.17. Look it up. Jesus paid the price so I could be healed. So I want my healing. He paid the price so I could walk in divine health. So I'm going to walk in divine health. He paid the price so my every need would be met with plenty left over. So that's what I want. And that's what I'm going to have. I want what belongs to me. Why don't we say that? Say, I want what belongs to me. Tell your neighbor, say, tell them, say, want what belongs to you. Tell your other neighbor, say, want what belongs to you. You know, if someone told you that down at the local bank, whichever branch, there's $1,000 waiting for you, well, you know, you go get it. We would, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. So why, why, why do we act this way when we come to our Heavenly Father who is good? 
Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will our heavenly Father give good things to those who to ask? He's our heavenly Father. He's good. He's wonderful. And if Bartimaeus is blind, Father God wants him to see. If Bartimaeus is blind, Jesus wants him to see. Say it again. Say, I want what belongs to me. And just as much as forgiveness and salvation belong to you, healing belongs to you. Freedom belongs to you. The blessing of the Lord belongs to you. So as we see in many, many miracles, Jesus said it. Jesus stopped, verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind men, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling him. So the very same people that said, sit down, be quiet, now, now they're saying, well, be, cheer up. He's calling you. Before Jesus said anything, Bartimaeus first took action. He took action of his own initiative, anticipating a miracle. Then Jesus said it, but Jesus did not give any specific instructions. He did not tell Bartimaeus what to do. But Bartimaeus had a missing ingredient we so often lack. Bartimaeus had enthusiasm. And that's what we all need, enthusiasm. Enthusiasm for God, enthusiasm for his house, enthusiasm for worshiping the Lord with all our heart, our strength, and mind. Enthusiasm in, in doing what's right. You know, you look out there in the world, people have enthusiasm for all kinds of wicked things. Why not have enthusiasm for what's right? Why not have enthusiasm for righteousness? So Bartimaeus had what we often lack, and that was enthusiasm. He anticipated a miracle. He expected a miracle, and he took the initiative. Tell your neighbor, say, take the initiative. Tell your other neighbor, say, take the initiative. There, there's no point complaining about your circumstances not changing if you're not going to take the initiative to do something different. You gotta take action. You gotta take action. You might say, I've been taking action. Well, if it ain't working, you gotta take some different action or greater action. Maybe do the opposite of what you've been doing. You gotta take some action. You gotta have enthusiasm and you gotta take the initiative. And that's what Bartimaeus did. He did it. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside. Now that's faith because he had not yet been healed. But the cloak that he was wearing was a beggar's garment. It identified him as somebody who was, we would say today, disabled in some way. It identified him as somebody who was perhaps blind. It identified him as someone who was in need, someone who was in need of help, someone who was in need of assistance. He has not yet been healed. He is still blind, but in faith, he threw that cloak aside. And that's what you've got to do. And that's why it's called F-A-I-T-H. You might say, well, Austin, I'm going to be the most positive person once my miracle happens. That's not how it works. Austin, I'm going to be the most joyful and enthusiastic person. When my prayer gets answered, then you're going to see me at church every week. Then you're going to see me on time. I might even raise my hands just a little bit during worship. That is not how it works. 
Faith takes action on the word before the miracle. And that's why it is faith. But that is the currency of the kingdom of God. And that's what God honors. Mention Jericho. This miracle happened at Jericho. God gave them those crazy instructions. March around, march around again. Don't make a noise, march around, march around. Don't make a noise, march around. Then on the, the last time, make a shout of victory. It made no sense. The walls of Jericho were, were so wide, they would do chariot races on the walls of that city. But they, they followed instructions. They must have looked like fools to the people of Jericho, walking around day after day. But they did what the Lord said do, and they got their miracle. The walls came down. The archaeology of that area, it is as if a hand from heaven literally pushed the walls of that city straight down into the earth. See, those are the kinds of things that happen when you walk by faith and not by sight. Those are the kinds of things that happen when you stop doing things your way, which has not worked, and in humility you say, Lord, I'm going to do things your way. Bartimaeus did it. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Tell your neighbor, say, that's faith. Tell your other neighbor, say, that's faith. His cloak was a beggar's garment. It was like a white cane today. It was a symbol, a sign to let everyone know he was blind, a beggar. He needed assistance. Paul tells us in Galatians 3 that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law, from every part of it. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. The curse includes every sickness, every disease, every infirmity. The curse, if you read Deuteronomy 28, it includes blindness, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Bartimaeus, he, he threw off that garment. He threw off that cloak because he believed he would receive his miracle. He was blind, but Bartimaeus believed he would see. So in advance, before anything happened, before he was healed, before the miracle took place, he, he threw off that beggar's garment, anticipating his miracle. Friend, if you're born again, you're saved. You're a son or daughter of God with the full rights, benefits, and privileges. And one of those is that you have been redeemed from the curse of the law. But there are many believers, and they have not yet thrown off the beggar's garment. They're saved. They're redeemed. Jesus paid the price, but they have not yet thrown off the beggar's garment. Some believers are even proud of their beggar's garment. They're proud of the curse. And how do I know? They brag about it. How's it going? It's so hard. It's so difficult. Serving the Lord is so hard. They brag about it. They're proud of the things that Jesus paid the price to redeem us from. They're proud of struggling with the same sin year after year. They're proud of making no progress. They're proud of their defeat. They're proud of their sickness, their disease, their infirmity. They're proud of their lack or they're not enough and that they wear that beggar's garment around. Woe is me, oh poor me, have sympathy for me. That there is no victory in that. You got to throw it off. And how do you throw it off? By faith that God is alive and that his word is true. And he honors his word. 
And as you throw off that beggar's garment, everything is going to change. And your circumstances are going to change. And your life is going to change. Jesus paid the price. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law. So throw off the beggar's garment. Tell your neighbor, say, throw off the beggar's garment. Tell your other neighbor, say, throw off the beggar's garment. Isaiah 119 tells us if we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the best of the land. Living for God and doing God's things, doing things God's way isn't hard. What's hard? Living for the devil. Living for the world. Doing things the world's way. The Bible tells us that God will bless and reward us. Hebrews 11.6 says God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, Samuel's been filling out his chore sheet all week. He's so excited. He, he put it in my office Friday. He's, he was asking me where his money is. I said, son, there's two more days. You haven't filled out the full week. So, you know, he was working on that yesterday, and he, he told me all about it this morning, how he's going to have that filled out to collect his money. Well, we're, we're teaching him the way things work. Do your part, and you'll be rewarded. And the Bible says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Here's what's hard. Living for yourself is hard. Doing things your way is hard. Living in sin and disobedience is hard. Living the world's way is hard. I'm about to age myself, but when I was a young man, Sophie's age, there was a Christian band called DC Talk, and they had a song that went, some people got to learn the hard way. Don't let that be you. Why? It's not necessary. Say, say, praise God. I don't have to learn the hard way. Just do things the Lord's way. And yes, you may have grown up where complaining was the norm and being negative was the norm and being sad was the norm. And when someone says, how's it going? Telling them some great, big, long, sad tale. You got to throw all that off and say what the word says. And it's, it's a way of life. It is a discipline. You read about that in the book of James, that the tongue gives direction to your life. And that's why you've got to say what the word says. After working for the church more than a decade, a lady who works in the business office told my father, she said, I'm tired of hearing people say that it's hard to live for God. She had worked here long enough and had seen the giving long enough to tie it all together. She saw it, that the, very, the people who have it hard are the very same people who don't obey God. The people who have it hard are the very same people who aren't in church. The people who have it hard are the very same people who are not doers of the word. The very same people who have it hard are the very same people who don't walk in love and don't walk in forgiveness. The very same people who have it hard are the very same people who, who don't tithe, who don't give, who aren't generous. The very same people who have it hard are the very same people who don't listen and don't take action. The people who have it hard are the people that are doing things their way, not the Lord's way. Recently, in the past few years, I heard about a father who says he's a believer, but he contributes nothing to help his children. It's not hard to figure out why some people aren't blessed and others keep pulling ahead year after year after year. Everything that we do, it is a sowing. 
And if you don't like the harvest, you got to change what you're doing. Bartimaeus had nothing to lose, so he threw off that beggar's garment. Who pays the bills here at Faith Christian Center? It's not the people who think they're perfect, who think they've never made a mistake or have never sinned or who got saved on a technicality or transferred their membership from another church. It's the people who hit the wall of alcoholism, of drug addiction, or in their marriage, or family, or financially, and they came to FCC, and they heard about giving your entire life to the Lord, and putting God first. They heard, give God as much time as you give the devil. Because they hit the wall, they had nothing to lose. They didn't just try God or his word. Because they hit the wall, they didn't just give God some of their lives, they gave him all of their lives. They hit the wall, and so like Bartimaeus, they threw off the beggar's garment. They threw off the garment of that old man or woman. And that's what we're to do in Christ. Read Romans. Read 1 Corinthians. If you're born again, the old you is dead, is buried with Christ, is as dead as anybody buried in a graveyard around here. So stop acting like it. Stop talking like the old man or woman. Stop living like the old man or woman. Stop behaving like the old man or woman. And yeah, I'm going to say it, stop dressing like the old man or woman. You know, Samuel or Julia asked me, you know, Daddy, why, why don't we celebrate what the world celebrates? Because we are children of light, we are not children of darkness. So you got to throw off the world. you got to throw off the things of the world. The old you is dead in Christ. So you got to live like that new man. You got to live like that new woman. You got to throw off the beggar's garment. You got to throw off every sickness, every disease, every work of the enemy. You got to throw off poverty. You got to throw off lack. You got to throw off not enough. You got to throw off every bondage, every addiction. You got to say, Lord, I give my entire life to you. Every part of my life. Bartimaeus threw off that beggar's garment, and that's the place you have to come to. But it requires that you stop caring what other people think or say. Can't let other people dictate or determine your blessings. Under the old covenant, when they were servants, not sons or daughters, the Lord told him he wanted to increase them a thousand times. We have a better covenant with better promises with a superior high priest. And as Paul wrote, our Heavenly Father wants to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. Now, there's something important in this miracle. Jesus demanded that Bartimaeus articulate what he wanted. You have to say what you want. And religion will teach us that we shouldn't. You have to say what you want. Mark 10, verse 51 what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. So in your life, you have to decide, what do you want? And religion would have us believe that it's wrong to want anything. It's wrong to desire anything. As long as it's not contradictory to the word, it's fine. As long as it's good and godly and righteous, it is fine. Jesus said, what do you want? And you have to be able to say what you want. One. In John 16, verse 24, Jesus told us, Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. 
Mark 10, 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. He said, Rabbi, I want to see. Teal Osborne once said, he'd say it all the time, when he ministered to hurting people, your eyes were made to see, your ears were made to hear. And God is good and God is wonderful, so what does he want for us? He wants us to see, he wants us to hear, he wants us not to be living this life, suffering under the works of Satan, stealing, killing, and destroying. He wants us to have life. He wants us to have the abundant life. Your eyes were made to see. Your ears were made to hear. He said, Rabbi, I want to see. So Bartimaeus received his miracle. Verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So Jesus said it, not just once, but twice. Bartimaeus did it, not just once, but twice. Then he received his miracle. And like Jesus said to the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus said in Mark 10, verse 52, your faith has healed you, or your faith has made you well. Salvation doesn't just mean our sins being forgiven. To be saved means to be both forgiven and healed. And faith to be saved is no different than faith to be healed. How can you be saved? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. How can you be healed? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. How can you walk in the blessings of God? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. Say this, say, I believe I receive my healing from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet now in Jesus' name. See, you gotta say what you want. You got to say what is true in your life and what you desire. Jesus said in Matthew 9, verse 29, according to your faith will it be done unto you. That's why the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, that we eat the fruit of our lips. Say it again. Say, I believe I receive my healing now in Jesus' name. So in your life, you got to take the initiative. You got to press for what you want, for what you desire. You got to ignore the critics. You got to ignore the opposition. You got to say, I'm going to have what God says belongs to me. Bartimaeus then told it. Luke 18 verse 43 says, immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they praised God. Well, that, that's how Christianity should work. We should receive, we should do as Jesus said, ask and receive, and our joy should be complete. And then when someone says, how's it going? Why, why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? Why, why are you so full of the life and the light and the love of God? We have something good to share. We have something positive to share. Whatever you are facing, whatever the problem or difficulty or challenge, God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. You got to throw off that challenge like the beggar's garment. We all have some casting off to do. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5 verse 7, casting all your care. That's every care. That's every anxiety. That's every worry. That's every problem. Every challenge, every difficulty, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. We died with Christ. We were buried with him. We were raised to new life in him. God wants us to live a life of victory. We are 
to reign in life. And so in Christ, what you have to do is you have to turn in that beggar's garment and you have to then live with the robe of righteousness that belongs to you in Christ. You got to throw off the beggar's garment. You got to throw off every sin, every addiction, every work of the enemy. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. See, that's what Christianity is supposed to be. Many people would have you believe that Christianity is Bartimaeus being saved and being forgiven and being a blind man till the day he dies. But it's so much more. Christianity is being saved, being forgiven, and walking in God's best. And so you have to throw off the beggar's garment. You have to throw off the grave clothes of that old man or woman and trade that in for the robe of righteousness that belongs to you in Christ and then live the life that God meant you to live as a son, as a daughter of Almighty God. And that's why Paul said that we are to reign in life. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and say, Austin, I've heard you speak of the goodness of God, but I, I don't know him. I don't have a relationship with him. I, I've heard you speak of Jesus as Lord, as Savior, but, but I know he's not Lord and Savior in my life. God loves you, and God has a wonderful plan and purpose for your life, but it all begins by giving your life to Jesus Christ and by asking him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. This world that we live in, it'll lie to you, it'll tell you that there are many paths to God. It'll tell you that if you're just kind of good enough, that is sufficient. It'll lie and tell you that you can come up with your own path to God. Those are lies. The Bible says that there is one name by which we can be saved. It is the name of Jesus. Jesus said, he said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Bible tells us that there is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to be avoided. None of us knows how long we have. And so I, I tell you today, the best decision you will ever make is making Jesus Christ the Lord and the Savior of your life. If you're here today and say, Austin, I, I've never done that, but I want to. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to give him my life. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand where I'll see it, and I'll know that you want me to pray with you. You want to ask Jesus into your heart. You want to make him the Lord of your life. You might also be here today and say, Austin, in time of my life, I, I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle, but I know in my heart I've not been living for God. I've been doing things my own way and I paid the price. Maybe you, you were taught wrong. Maybe you, you were taught that even though you had been forgiven, you were supposed to carry that beggar's garment through life living for the Lord. And so maybe over time you became embittered and you, you blamed God and you headed down the road of sin. The Bible says the mercies of God are new every morning. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
You can have a new beginning. You can have a fresh start. You can have peace with God. If you're here today and say, Austin, that's me. I need to recommit my life. Pray with me. I want to make sure that I have peace with God before I go today. If that's you, wherever you're seated, raise your hand to let me know you want me to pray with you. We're going to pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it has gone forth as a seed planted into good ground that it will bear a harvest 30, 60, or 100 fold. You might be watching or listening online now or later and say, Austin, pray with me. Pray this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I repent of my sins. And I ask Jesus to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for setting me free of anything that would hinder me in living for you. Thank you for a new beginning and a fresh start in Jesus' name. There's a lie that Jesus is like just a plus mark on our lives as people living in America. That, that we're the same except we're forgiven and going to, to heaven. Yes, we're forgiven. Yes, heaven is our home. But there is so much more that belongs to us in Christ Jesus. The old you is dead, is gone. So you got to throw off that beggar's garment and live this life as the new you in Christ Jesus. Redeemed, born again, a child of God, salt, light in this wicked world. That is what the Christian life is supposed to be. And that's why we're always to be making progress, growing, maturing. Paul said that we aim for perfection. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That tells me I've got plenty to work on. That tells me I've got progress to make. That tells me I've got room for improvement. That, that tells me I've got a ways to go, amen? But that, that is what this life lived for the Lord is supposed to be. Our testimony should not be when we look like the world and we talk like the world and we act like the world and we, we dress like the world and the only difference is we're going to heaven someday. Christianity is to be so much more. What people should say about us is I knew him, I knew her when they were lost. But it just seems like they're becoming more like Jesus all the time. That is what the Christian life is supposed to be. Amen? That is what he has called us to.